BBCC episode 89, my realization of the day. All of our thoughts on today's film, Daniel Isn't Real, are pretty varied. Despite that fact, I think that we all can agree that the poster for this movie fucking rocks. Let's get into it, shall we? Welcome back to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, a podcast very high on horror. Sitting across from me, it's Devon Taylor. How you doing, buddy? Hello, hello. Um, I am sweating. I have a carton of <laughs> Baskin-Robbins ice cream, a strawberry cheesecake, for those of you curious. Um, yeah, I am it like is full-on flash dance right now. It is it's incredibly toasty uh, California day, uh, So, but we're, we're going to try to get through this one without <laughs> shorting out our electrical equipment with our dripping sweat, but <laughs> I think it should be a good one. I think, I think we'll be okay. Um, this, will, this is going to be an interesting one, so we're continuing our coming-of-age theme. We're yes, rolling yes. right along, and um, this one's going to be an interesting one because this is a film that... Garrett and I, neither one of us particularly loved on our first time around, and 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 usually whenever I, like usually I always try to get everybody on the same page and like when a guest like submits a movie, but I was like, you know what? I was like, let let's challenge ourselves. You know, I want to see if the the guests can you know bring the movie and maybe kind of turn us around a little bit, see if our thoughts maybe changed a little bit, and uh, and uh, I think our guest is uh, the perfect person to do that. She's very enthusiastic and. Uh, has some tough skin um, uh, for being uh, the youngest guest that we've had here on the podcast. Uh, welcome. Wel- welcome in, uh, Gory Corey. How you doing? Thank you. I'm so honored. Yes. I didn't know Thanks you were so the young- I, I assumed that I was the, the reigning baby. What, 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 how old are you, Gory Corey? I'm 19. 19? Oh, way younger than me. Okay, yes. well, welcome. <laughs> youngest, <laughs> youngest guest on the show and also one of the youngest members over at uh, Fangoria and co-hosts her own podcast, The Scream Teens. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited to have you on. We uh, got to do um, the Malignant live stream together, which was yes. so much fun. Oh my god! <laughs> gotta cut out was... the cancer. Oh yeah, the, Daniel would, uh, or must. I think uh, Luke would agree. Luke would uh, agree to uh, cutting out the cancer. Mm-hmm. Of uh, we're talking Daniel isn't real today. Um, but before we got into the movie, um, I did want to ask you because um, Corey here, like me, is a uh, Scooby Doo mega fan. Oh yeah, um, I, I've heard you. Uh, I'm pretty sure every podcast <laughs> I've listened to you guest on, you brought up Scooby Doo <laughs> at some Scooby point. Every time, and we we talk about Scooby Doo here a lot. Uh, we talked about Scooby Doo quite a bit uh, during the Scream franchise. Oh, for <laughs> yes. sure, you have to. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so what what kind of impact did Scooby Doo have on your uh, uh, horror coming of age, if you will? Oh my God, everything. I was a huge Scooby-Doo fan. I mean, I always have been, but specifically when I was a kid, I would watch Scooby-Doo every day. And it was really like the gateway into horror for me because it made me love monsters because like the films, the Scooby-Doo films that started coming out around like the 90s, early 2000s, a lot of the monsters started being kind of more sympathetic characters, like mm-hmm. the Loch Ness Monster episode, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm zombie island like the monsters were real instead of being like unmasked and um 
a lot of the times they were good guys. And so that kind of like shifted my perspective and made me really interested in looking into like monsters and cryptids and like investigating strange occurrences like the Scooby-Doo gang. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's interesting because like I kind of had the other way about it. Cause I mean, I grew up like whenever I think about a lot of my horror roots was yeah. Rewatching. Um, we had like, we had like every one of the like uh, compilation VHS tapes that they would make of like the yes. the sixties seventies uh, series. Mm-hmm. So we had like all the compilations of like the best episodes and whatnot, and then we get we get all the animated films. Um, I mean, I I did a triple feature of Scooby Doo this past uh, Halloween. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of those ones that it was fun enough to where I could watch with my sisters, and like we all loved it and had a good time. But then it also kind of introduced me to like, you know, when when people ask me now why I watch horror movies, like, you know, how can you watch horror movies? And and um, especially like, you know, in today's day right now. And and my answer is always like, you know, like, you know, no matter what I watch, you know, people are the are the true monsters, you know, and there is nothing yeah. scarier than real life. So it's like Scooby-Doo kind of in, instilled that kind of uh, idea. That's so interesting. It. Yeah. Yeah. Because so it's like you're watching the episodes and you're scared of the monster. But, but the monsters you, are actually people. But you know it's a person. Yeah. So yeah. it kind of hits you a little differently. Uh, Garrett, what was uh, your uh, growing up with Scooby-Doo experience, if any? You know, in both of your eloquent answers, the the thing that kept uh, coming to my mind is that wonderful clip of the behind the scenes of the Scooby Doo movie where you have Sarah Michelle Gellar like saying why the show really related to people, <laughs> and she's like, "It wasn't a boys thing, it wasn't a girl thing." And then you have Freddie Prince Jr. He's like, "It was a talking dog, man." <laughs> the best video. So uh, I I lo- absolutely love that clip. But yeah, for me, uh, Scooby Doo was kind of as were a lot of things when I was a kid it was like coming back and so the older thing also became like repopularized and like it happened with you know Indiana Jones and and Star Wars and uh, a bunch of other things to where there was a thing that existed they remade it for modern audiences I'm of course talking about the live action movie which was uh definitely a big part of my childhood I I actually remember watching the second one a lot I was a big fan of the uh the second film but I also loved the cartoons specifically the crossover episodes where they would have like Batman and Robin or like Don Knotts and you know Abbott and Costello or whatever yeah I always really liked those uh and you know uh like everything you guys are talking about this ushering in these kind of Yes, you couldn't really articulate them when you were a kid of why you're kind of are drawn to this or how it, you know, kind of formulated your tastes as a a horror fan. But I always loved the creative settings that these took place in, whether it's like a old gothic mansion or an abandoned amusement park or something mm-hmm. really fun like that. Um, I always just was really drawn to the characters as well, as well as the uh, animation style of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just kind of the overall feeling of the show it wasn't really something that I was able to get a lot from, you know, other kind of cartoons that were popular at the same time, something like Tom and Jerry or something like or like Looney Tunes or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Scooby Doo was really its own kind of flavor of things. And I've always, you know, of course, I, I think we've all kind of agree. We've always been a little bit more attracted to the, the you know, the more kind of if you want to call Scooby Doo macabre, I guess. Uh, but the spookier kind of elements, uh, even in our our, our uh, adolescence. Uh, and I think 
Scooby-Doo is just a perfect kind of gateway for that. And for so many people and something that I love about the show is that it's continued to be that like Mm Scooby-Doo has found new audiences and ways to constantly reinvent itself. Uh, And I love that it's just continuing to cultivate, you know, young horror fans. I think that that's super important. Uh, And I, I am eager for it to make its return to the big screen, not, from Scoob, but you know, <laughs> maybe we can get Matthew Lillard back. Maybe one day. Yes, I feel like that would really. I mean, everyone would want to see that if he 100%. came back as Shaggy. Yeah. Yes. Yes, please. Yes, uh, please. See, but we're in the Matthew Lillard renaissance right now, so hey, yeah. you know, and, and <laughs> everything on that. <laughs> and everything isn't about sequels now. Now it's spinoff, so we can just have mm-hmm. a Shaggy spinoff if we really wanted, if we yes. really asked hard enough. But yeah, yes. Scooby Doo is the IP that will never die, and it does make me like so and it happy. Shouldn't. Um, it's be- like such a testament to how genius the original characters are mm-hmm. like i don't know i think a lot about like the archetypes of each character and how they are so able to even like back in the 60s break out of like their stereotypical roles it's mm-hmm. so like they fit together so well yeah yeah so much uh creativity too just be- between everything i can't really think of too many kids horror things that like really lean into like the gothic elements and yeah. Uh, things like that and um yeah the it just never ending i want i want more of just like the the straight up animated movies like when like that was like a, a prime time era uh garrett we're gonna do an episode on zombie island at some point yes um, i'm here for it i'm here for it because that's just like a great just movie in itself like not even just scooby-doo that's cinema it really is so um uh, zombie island coming soon but then uh also um justice for uh scooby-doo and the reluctant werewolf but <gasps> yes Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, that 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 little underrated. We'll have an entire Scooby Doo month, I'm sure. I think I think future. that is the play, honestly. I think we should just <laughs> go ahead and do a whole Scooby Doo month. But um Scooby Doo will have to wait because we have another movie to chat about for today's episode. <gasps> Daniel Isn't Real was released March 13th, 2015. Let's fact check. Is that another Friday the 13th? Uh, I have to know. Also, that is definitely not the correct release date. No, I, I, I from last week's episode. I, I switched. <laughs> I read it. I was like, that's not right. <laughs> I switched everything out except for the release date. That is my bad, guys. Uh, the release date uh, was December 6, 2019. Uh, for okay, its wide there release. you go. That's much better. Daniel Isn't Real <laughs> was released December 6, 2019. It was directed and written by Adam Egypt. Mortimer with a score by Clark, cinematography by Lyle Vincent, uh, currently holding a Rotten Tomatoes score of 84% on uh, 82 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes with a letterbox average of 3.2 out of 5. So, sco- uh, Gory Corey, why did you pick Daniel Isn't Real for our coming of age month? So, Daniel Isn't Real is like one of my all time favorite films ever and i feel like not a lot of people talk about it it doesn't really get the recognition that i think it's like so deserves um so anytime any podcast is like pick any movie you want i'm like daniel isn't real because i always have so much to say about it and i don't really i think i've only done one other podcast on the film but it's like ever since it came out in 2019 like i've watched it probably like 20 times since it's so like when i watched it too i was 16 and it hit me at such like the right time and it mm-hmm. really connected with me as like a teen so mm-hmm. i thought it was a perfect one for our coming of age yeah yeah this, this one i remember i think i reviewed it whenever i was like still actually writing reviews and because i remember this got a lot of praise like right when it came out 
And maybe yeah. that, I guess that is maybe dissipated a little bit. Cause I remember like when it came out, like everybody was very hyped on this movie. And then, so by the time I like got to see it, I already kind of had these like very high expectations about it. And maybe that affected it, uh, my first viewing initially. Um, and so I wasn't like as impressed with it. And then on this time around, I can totally see why you picked this for a coming of age, uh, pick because I, at first I didn't really think about it, but uh the movie is kind of sectioned off between like this coming of age film but then also this um you know fear of mental illness running through your family and uh you know dealing with that and unfortunately i feel like the the two don't exactly gel together um you know not in the way that daniel and luke do when they do their like smushy face makeout thing <laughs> um but um i disagree interesting like because i feel like they i feel like they are like almost two distinct halves and i enjoy the second half of the Mm -hmm. film a lot more once it does get a bit darker um but i can totally see the coming of age beats that has in the beginning of that like freshman year of college like i i know exactly that you know time i remember my freshman year of college and like that specific like oh you kind of want to like you want to be extroverted and go out because that's what you feel like you should be doing in college versus like you know, trying to find, you know, the people or person that, like, you know, that you can actually relate to, um, so I did, so, um, I totally saw that, and, um, and I love the, I've always loved it out of the filmmaking on it, though, on a technical level, this movie looks very good, the lighting is great, and, um, the composer, uh, Clark, I, I love how, we haven't had any writers or directors that go by one single name here on the podcast, but we've had at least like four or five composers that like to just choose one name uh, title. So uh, Clark uh, did go off on the on the score for this, though. Uh, Garrett, what did you think about on um, on this uh, revisit? So I had a chance to see this uh, not at like its world premiere, but at its like the the weekend it premiered at south by southwest film festival it was part of like the midnights category so i remember uh, going to see the film uh and the director was there and they were talking about the movie i think also at that film festival i mentioned it in my realization but i think it also won like poster of the festival um i do genuinely really love uh this this poster but i didn't care for the movie when i saw it originally and i just also did not care for it when i rewatched <laughs> it and i feel bad like i don't when you had suggested this movie I, I always I'm always very eager and I still am eager to uh, uncover or discover why people really enjoy a thing that do, maybe just doesn't connect with me or I don't love as much. Um, I was really excited to when um, I although I like the movie, I'm not as in love with it as Devon is with Candyman. Um, I was excited to talk about that. We've talked about maybe just doing something similar with like a racer head in the future. There are plenty of movies out there that I'm just like, hey, man, this isn't for me. Glad people like it, but yeah, even on a rewatch, this film just doesn't quite hit for me. I agree with what Devon was saying. I think the style is cool, but I think it is a, I, I think it's, there are a lot of movies that the style is the substance, but I think the substance is, in this movie is really uh, uh, shallow. Um, I don't think that it works well in kind of portraying this mental illness. In fact, I think it's it's pretty problematic, if I'm being honest. Uh, I don't really like the relationships in this movie and the, the romantic side of thing doesn't work well for me at all. I wish some of the female characters had a little bit more agency in this movie. I think that they're incredibly lacking. I think the performances in the movie also aren't great. Uh, and I feel like it's a it's kind of a bad faith um 
kind of argument against the movie, but I also just think it's kind of stupid. <laughs> it's kind of silly. Uh, I think the way that Daniel is portrayed is really goofy. Uh, I think he's tried to be portrayed as like a cool guy, but I think he's like a weird kind of like, a, this is what a nerdy person thinks a cool guy is like. Uh, it just comes off very silly to me, apart from being problematic and just not very i don't other than being like a well-made movie there's just not too much i really like about this film so i really don't want to put down this movie that you like and i'm so glad that you like it but i just really don't care for this film no that's but i'm excited to talk about uh, why you like this movie so much no i think that's honestly like a great opinion or like a great stance to have of like even if i don't like this thing it doesn't mean it's like the worst thing in the world like i'm glad yeah. other people like it yeah, I feel like more people need to have that stance on movies <laughs> they don't like. Oh yeah, because it's like this is like in one of those kind of things where it's like I can still like take like the filmmaking and give it its praise and like yeah. and I'm still not I'm not gonna be like one of those people that like you know when we get to our ratings at the end it's like I'm not gonna be like one out of five because like I know this isn't a one out of five movie you know as far yeah. as like the filmmaking and there's things in it it's just like if it wasn't you know the things that didn't work for me and and I can agree that I think one of the biggest detriments is um patrick schwarzenegger as uh daniel is um he's he's not good he's he's he he watched <laughs> i think he watched fight club three times before they filmed this and that and that and he ran with it and um i didn't realize that we had uh not one but two um you know nepotism babies uh hanging out in this because i didn't i i didn't realize miles robbins and i was like wait tim robinson but then but then when you look at his face, though, he looks just like his mom, Susan Sarandon. Like, I was like, oh, I was like, that is totally uh, her kid. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I think he does pretty well, um, especially, like, when it comes later to kind of him portraying Daniel, but through himself instead of through uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger, like, when we get to do some of that. Um, I did enjoy that, but so, so let's go ahead and dive into, we'll start at the coming of age uh, kind of elements here. Um, because again, I like the, I like the age that they chose for him being like a college freshman and like him, uh, leaving home, but he's like still, you know, he's living in the dorms, but he's like still taking care of his mom because he obviously worries about her and she is, um, mentally ill. And, and I, I enjoyed all of that. I enjoyed what, um, the relationship between him and his mom. I feel like it didn't get to breathe as much because we kind of have to do the typical cliche friend has an imaginary friend to deal with a trauma thing and because he has no friends and to cover up it's like yes we because that's kind of what all people choose you know imaginary friends for so i feel like we could have maybe skipped that and then like you still dug into like just him uh how daniel would like help him with his mother i wish we kind of got more of that um mm -hmm. with the coming of age stuff I kind of liked seeing the relationship between Daniel and Luke, though, when they were kids, because you can kind of see how the manipulation starts and how, mm -hmm. like, deep-rooted it is, because, I don't know, I feel like there's kind of a quality to Daniel where, like, he does truly have fun with Luke, and they are really friends, but they're friends sort of in, like, it felt very much like a Jennifer Check needy type of friendship to me, like a Mean Girls friendship, where, like... Mm -hmm. They're friends, but they also are kind of like frenemies in a way. Um, mm -hmm. One of my favorite parts, that's one of my favorite parts of the coming of age story, because like when you have to f understand the way that friendship dynamics work and relationships within your life and how like people you might have been friends with when you were five years old and, have, you know, trust mm -hmm. aren't actually 
your close friends or don't actually have your uh like best interests in mind i thought that was like a great way of showing that um one of my favorite parts of the coming of age story is the mental illness kind of arc because that is the age where if you have a history of mental illness in your family it will probably show up for you if you have that mental illness as well so i thought the way that they showcased that was really interesting especially because luke knows that his mom is mentally ill so he knows that he's probably going to develop that and that he's he's not sure you know what's happening to him but he tries to get help and i think that's kind of something that a lot of people with a history of that in their family can relate to especially when they're you know 18 19 years old yeah i think it's something that early on just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth is that a lot of the results in this a lot of the negative things that happen in this movie are as a result of uh, uh luke going to therapy i think it's just a weird kind of jumping off point for a lot of the conflict in the movie is that he goes to therapy gets advice from his therapist and because of that that's what makes daniel kind of like unlock and wreak all this havoc mm -hmm. in his mind and i think that just kind of being the 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 main source of the conflict or you know kind of the the uh impetus of what's happening feels odd to me i don't know like mm -hmm. is, is that something that works for you or maybe like a rationale for you or why that is maybe um, like a i mean i had like a yeah I, I had a note because what i did find interesting was because yeah he got that he got that um you know uh advice from his therapist but this was also at the behest that, you know, Daniel wasn't honest with him or that Luke wasn't honest with him about his relationship yeah. with Daniel. Like, because, you know, he doesn't tell the therapist until way later in the movie, you know, what Daniel did when they were children, you know, trying to kill his mother. He never so he never said that. So it's like, yeah, I guess, you know, the therapist was, um, you know, trying to give him constructive advice. But then that's also that's where, you know, Luke is kind of leading to his own demise in that aspect. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, like I uh, it, it was like I, I really I did understand like that that fear that he had of, you know, um, becoming, you know, something similar to his mother. And especially like I like the way that they uh, contrast it with uh, the setting of her apartment. Um, the, the way that they dressed it with like, you know, the pages on the wall and she's scratching and breaking mirrors and like, it's just like in this disarray and like him going from like, you know, his nice little college dorm and everything is like kind of fun and whimsical. And then like when he goes to back to his mother's apartment, everything feels so much heavier. Like, you know, he, like he doesn't seem as happy, you know, and it's like, and you're just like kind of seeing everything and like the way that's like very dimly lit all the time. Um, the the apartment had like a gothic element to it that I that I really appreciated and like you just like every time we went back there I was like I felt the way that Luke does whenever he's like you know he wants to stay on the college campus and have a good time and he's meeting girls but you know but then he has to you know he goes back to go check in on his mother because he cares for her and knows they needs to but um but but that that feeling of like you know the the you know they they talk a lot about Daniel kind of being a shadow. Uh, lurking over Luke's shoulder but then like you know I think that very much works for like his fear of you know this inevitable you know mental illness that he might experience you know due to uh, his family connections yeah I, I, I like the idea of this idea of this kind of inherited uh, struggles with mental illness because I know that's something a lot of people do with myself included is this idea of your your parents have kind of passed down 
this uh, struggle with mental illness, or at least uh, your life has been impacted by their own struggles with mental illness. And I think that mm -hmm. is an interesting thing to explore in a movie. I just don't particularly care for the way that it's like personified. Um, I mean, literally <laughs> um, <laughs> that it is this violent, uh, you know, uh, figure in someone who uh, actively causes harm to a lot of people, because I think that that's just kind of like a public misconception of people with mental illness, that they are violent because people with mental illnesses are far more likely to be victims of violence. I think that that's something just strange of the film. And I think it could have used a little bit more nuance, particularly in regards of the mother of this film, that she's her house is ransacked and, and there's blood everywhere. And there's, like you said, the pages on the wall and all the mirrors are broken and things like that. I just think it's kind of a cartoonish way to portray mental illness. And I just think, again, a little bit more nuance could have gone a long way in this film, at least for me personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand. And 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 what what I find interesting about the film, because I, I like the, the idea of it uh, kind of being like, you know, taking this approach that it's like, you know, mental illness is not your fault in a way um, because, you know, when we get to the end of the film, it's like, you know, we find out Daniel is not just an imaginary friend, but he is like a interdimensional demon or something called the abyss and that like kind of latches on to people uh, in a parasitic way. And like kind of so I, I find that interesting that it's like, you know, that um, it was like, you know, Daniel or Luke just had to be in the, you know, the right time or at the wrong place in the wrong time, you know, as far as, you know, running away from his parents fighting his mother has mental illness and then sees this trauma, you know, of um, this uh, shooting happen at this coffee shop uh, yeah. that just like this like little perfect storm that like, you know, allowed Daniel to latch onto him. Um, I, I did find that interesting. Um, but if they would have, I don't know, I found it weird, like when the movie kind of like took the detour to like try to instead of having a moment where like Luke could have been like empathizing with uh the the father of the shooter it like is this like weird like manic scene instead like they they could have i don't know like the the way that they tried to tie that in um i found fascinating um especially in today's climate you know that they didn't kind of do a little bit more with that you know with uh this cold open that they had that they kind of just like used it for the the shock and it's like or they could have easily just tied it in like that you know, Daniel was latched onto his mother at some point, uh, to Luke's mother. Could have been interesting, but I'm not sure. Well, I don't think that, I don't know that Daniel was latched onto Luke's mother because it's more like he's a, a demon that comes through. Oh, no, I was, saying, I was saying that's what I think could have made more sense than what they did with this one because Daniel was latched onto uh, the, the other, the shooter guy. Mm -hmm. I was saying they could have maybe, like, did it to where it was. Um, the 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 mom instead That's i don't know can't can't tell if that would make it better or not but mm -hmm. um but yeah and so let's get into um the uh the connection uh between the two leads uh we have daniel and luke and luke um again who i says uh the the kid of tim robbins and susan surrounded i did think he was a, a lost uh sprouse brother the first time i saw he this told, film. yeah i did too yeah big riverdale vibes coming off in this guy yeah, yeah. He's a cutie, though. I'll give him that. He is a cutie. <laughs> He's um, a great actor, and he originally auditioned to play Daniel, and yeah. he did so well that that's why they had him do that scene at the end where he becomes 
where Daniel like takes over his body because he was so good at like playing the Daniel role. Oh yeah, like and I and I would have I wish we got more of that because again I actually like the second yeah, half. Yeah, it's really cool to see. I like the second half quite a bit of this uh, kind of struggle between the the control of them and like you know what it means that like you know uh Luke uh embodying Daniel in a way like you know that Daniel is the the confidence that he doesn't have um but kind of like with what Garrett said like that he's like kind of like what a, what you think a cool guy would look like but that makes sense because this is like a like centuries old demon yeah. so i guess this is what they think <laughs> like what a cool uh confident well, guy is like i, I love that, also, that like, daniel is behind on the times <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, honestly he's though, like yeah that's great <laughs> if you go to film school in new york which is where adam egypt mortimer went like if you go to a new york film school that is what every man looks like like that's how they're dressed that's how they behave that is like the gold standard right now Hell so it yeah. make it so when i watched that i was like of course and he he's supposed to represent um or at least like in interviews they've said that he's supposed to kind of represent this like idealized toxic masculinity but in my mind he's sort of queer-coded in a way because the way that he like his mannerisms and the way that he's dressed and that kind of thing like make me feel like he's kind of a queer metaphor and i just thought that was really an interesting way to portray masculinity that I hadn't seen in a lot of films. Oh, I'm totally on board with it being like a, a an analogy of toxic masculinity because that mm -hmm. totally gives uh, kind of credence to what uh, what Devon was talking about. That he's just giving like big Fight Club vibes too. No, yeah, <laughs> but like in a not a like a compliment way of like this movie is your personality well, kind it, of. Way. It's like the it, it's very much like in surface level, like for sure. Yes. Like he is yeah. like eh, I mean we'll get into that when we do movie math, but. Um, yeah. you know, he, it, it, the, it, and I see queer coded stuff too. And like, I was like, kind of taking notes I was, while I was taking notes, I was trying to like put the pieces together. I'm like, okay, so like, if there is a queer code, like, what is it? But I couldn't find anything like, especially like, yeah. it, cause like there's the scene like, you know, where they're, um, Luke's taking his test and Daniel has the answers and he's yeah. all over his body he takes his shirt off and like luke is like cracking up at this he like thinks it's hilarious i'm like wait do you think it's hilarious are you into it um but but then what i got was um that you know that daniel had the crush on luke because he yeah. would get because he was getting jealous that you know cassie was giving the attention but like he wasn't getting <laughs> credit for it um, well, and then, also like, like a, a lot of the ways that Daniel kind of uh, influences Luke are all, a lot of like sexual kind of like, mm -hmm. I mean, Daniel gets like straight up cucked a lot in this movie. <laughs> He's like kind of enjoys watching Luke like pursue yeah. other people. So it's definitely like a weird psychosexual kind of relationship between the two of them mm -hmm. for sure which and, and i feel like that comes into the coming of age of it all because uh there's like the the line whenever the therapist is asking him like what he's thinking about and he says sex and death and like and he's like well yeah that's what all, anyone your age is thinking about right now and, it, and it's very true it's like you know people when you're in your first years of college it's like you're either having all these like ex existential realizations but you're also just like horny beyond belief and like that is like kind of the the two uh amplified modes of daniel is like you know he like he has this like dark sense of humor and like you know like you know has these uh moments where he's like you know flashing these like you know dark ideas like when he's um 
quoting like the weird Bible verse that uh, he's like yelling and stuff. And like, um, so it's like he has like that extreme. And then his other extreme is just like heightened sexuality, um, which we see. And like, I mean, that the, the scene in the tunnels is like so unsettling i will like that's that's the one scene it's hard to watch that's the one scene where patrick schwarzenegger really got me um it's definitely like because this film isn't scary um i wouldn't say but it does have you know it has creepy vibes and stuff but um and some of the subject matter is bleak and dark but like this sequence like the whole thing like this is where you kind of really see um the evil yeah uh coming out and like um the the effect that they would do for like the the smushy faces of them like kind of doing that uh was real gross and anytime um daniel had a fascination with opening luke's mouth um that definitely felt very Mm -hmm. sexual um but like yeah well he literally like crawls out of his body at some points and it's like there's there's clearly like a good amount of that connection there where you think a lot of and also like the taking over of the body mm-hmm. like there's so much of that there where it's like does does daniel represent luke's toxic masculinity within himself like things like that as well well but but daniel's also his own thing though too mm-hmm. so it, it it's really um an interesting question of like how much of daniel's personality is, is amplified yeah. luke yeah because he is like is it's 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 its own being mm-hmm. that just like kind of needs him as like more as the vessel but then yeah. he's but but it's interesting daniel said that he's been doing it for centuries that he's been helping people um you know by influencing him and doing you know the things that he does uh which i find fascinating that he he that daniel thinks he's um mentoring people in some way um, well, yeah, I think when you look at a lot of the scenes he has with Luke, like, in some cases, he does help Luke kind of get out of his shell and be more social and be more confident. But then when Luke starts kind of like veering away from Daniel's advice, he gets angry and he starts acting out and trying to convince Luke to do bad things. Like, mm-hmm. during when he stopped quoting the Bible, you know, that kind of stuff, like, you can see how that really gets to Daniel. And I think it's because you know, Daniel's only way of kind of being in the world is through other people. Mm-hmm. And so, like, Luke was his only access to be affecting the world. And so, like, he couldn't really... If Luke's not going to listen to him, then he has no purpose. He has no reason to be there. So yeah. I can see how he kind of feels trapped in that. I will say, I uh, th- there might be a piece of me that feels like I, I kind of resist this film just because of my own kind of like uh, trauma with this kind of idea. But I think this is like a, a, a pretty strong argument for this being like a faith based movie. There's a mm-hmm. lot of religious, uh, you know, ideas kind of going throughout this. If you want to go that route, you know, Daniel could be kind of an analogy for sin and like being the devil, because I think that that also lines up with like the Christian view of the devils that, you know, him being a conduit through people and that that's mm-hmm. how evil is kind of carried out is doing his acts and yeah that might you know doing drugs and drinking and and hooking up with random people at parties might you know get you friends quicker than being a quote-unquote good person but uh i think that that's yeah but even like in the scene where he helps him kind of like with his mom like obviously he didn't de-escalated that situation in a very like concerning way Mm -hmm. but his mom survived so there were elements where like daniel did sort of help him out yeah 
Yeah, I think that's maybe a little bit where my confusion kind of comes in because I think that there are kind of a lot of ideas kind of scattershot, that there are ideas of religion mm-hmm. and mental illness and then sexuality and this coming of age kind of style and then also the relationships between like yourself and the art that you create and what you put into the art that you make. Um, I think there are just a lot of ideas that I just don't know if the film gives quite enough substance for me to feel like it all kind of sticks together. And there are some threads that leave it up for interpretation to the degree that I'm unsure of what it's actually trying to say Mm -hmm. versus this fun kind of like, um, you're able to kind of, you know, play with the different ideas and like, oh, and have these different theories of, of what the film could be kind of saying. I'm kind of more of just like, I, I don't know. I have really no idea what the movie is trying to say because it says like 10 different things. Just, yeah. I totally I, see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, that, yeah. But that is like my favorite part of it. Totally. That's where yeah. the difference is. Totally. A mm-hmm. lot of people really like to do stuff like that. Um, and I think that there's tons of value in that, particularly like a lot of Lynch films do that. And I'm not saying yeah. that this is a Lynch in film because i don't think it is really at all but um i i there definitely is appeal uh for a lot of uh, uh a lot of films for that and i definitely understand that and there are lots of movies that even uh, for myself I, I love kind of diving into movies on that level however i do like when there is a bit more specificity um rather than this kind of general non-specific um because i do feel that there are some metaphors in this film that are so on the nose that I feel like I'd be giving this movie a little bit too much credit than it deserves. Like Mm -hmm. this imagery where she paints him and she's like, Oh, there's the shadow looming behind you. And it's just very obviously like kind of this depression metaphor or this bipolar metaphor or something like that. And it just feels a little bit like when I start to think maybe this movie is kind of leaving all of these open kind of uh, these uh, scenes and moments for open for interpretation in these ideas. I'm kind of also like, maybe I'm giving this movie a little bit too much credit. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I will say it took them like six years to write this script and make this film. So I do think they put a good amount of thought into totally, like, how much totally. of it would mm-hmm. be up for yeah. interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the director, he's a guy with big ideas because uh, I didn't get to watch Arch Enemy. I was going to actually double him today. But um, from what I've seen, what he said in interviews, they are like kind of connected in a shared universe type of way, but like not a sequel. But, um, you know, he, as far as like, because it's like this like cosmic thing, like, um, it, which, which I find interesting that you know, Daniel is this, um, you know, basically like, you know, cosmic demon thing. And, um, you know, whenever, I, I guess it's like what he really truly gets out of it because then when, you know, Daniel or not Daniel, when uh, the therapist is speaking with Daniel and asks him, you know, what he wants. And he's just like, I'm a traveler looking for a home. So it's like, you know, everything else has been, um, this like you know power that he like gets from you know what he drives people to do like his influence um mm-hmm. and then you know so it's like they they kind of go into that but then um i guess don't really tie the entity in with the um the the mental illness within um you know not only within luke his mother and then he like you know and like they like kind of mentioned it with uh the the guy that uh shot up the coffee shop as well I will um, say I I hmm. do kind of, I do like the idea that this trauma is something that yes it can be inherited but it's something that you can kind of 
just receive because of this terrible thing that happened. You know, like you can get PTSD because you saw the shooting or a car accident or you were in combat or whatever, or you were, you know, abused or something like that, that can happen to you that you might've not been born with this kind of chemical imbalance of a lot of people who have mental illnesses. It's just like a biological thing. Rather, it's something that you've experienced now you have this shadow so to speak that looms over you I do like that idea for sure I do also like the idea of like having him having kind of both because throughout the movie you're kind of like is this just what his mom has or is this actually a demon in some way and yeah I will say like at the time this came out my best one of my best friends for like five years uh had DID which he Mm -hmm. developed from PTSD yeah and one of his biggest things was like there are no movies that can properly portray what it's like to have dissociative identity disorder Mm -hmm. and this movie is exactly how he explained it like to a t exactly how he explained like having another personality so i thought it was really interesting that the way that they portrayed daniel because it is sort of like he said it was a lot like having just someone that you see with you like all the time that kind of comments on things happening that Mm -hmm. can like take control of your body at some point. And, and that's, sure. again, whenever I felt very affected by the film was um, when we do get to a point where it's just like uh, Daniel's just being a dick. Like, I was watching it with my roommate uh, as well, and like he goes, dude, Daniel's a fucking dick. Because he's like, <laughs> at this point, he's like, he's just annoying him. He's making, you know, Luke cause scenes in public and like, you know, all these things and all the, you know, uh, interactions with everybody. And, like, you really see this, like, anguish on Luke. And, like, mm-hmm. whenever he's uh, talking to a therapist, he's, like, he's always there now. And, like, he's, like, you know, yeah. the way they describes it. And and they and they even film it different. They even film Daniel differently in this, in these sequences, too. Like, in the, uh, in the other sequences, like, whenever things are going well, you know, Daniel is, like, in the fold with, like, Luke and whoever he's interacting with, whether it be Cassie or it be Sophie or whoever. But then, like, later, whenever it's, like, you know, um, Daniel's just, like, tormenting him. But then, like, when Luke kind of gets a peace of mind, it'll be Luke and whoever he's with. And then, like, Daniel's, like, off to the side, like, yeah. almost off the frame. But and he's the still way there. that they stage it is so interesting in every shot throughout the film. Like, how mm-hmm. clo- where Daniel is. is just, yeah, the, the, the proximity definitely plays a big part, and especially with, like, the way that Daniel interacts with Luke, too. Like, he's, mm-hmm. like, always very close to his face. And, like, you know, this, like, kind of, like, loomingness. And, like, I swear, like, for the last 35 minutes of the movie, Miles Robbins holds these, like, tears, like, like, just perfectly throughout the film. But, like, and then especially, like, in the moment where Daniel does take over and he's acting as, he's acting as Daniel and then he's is still crying because, like, Luke on the inside. I was like, damn. Like, I I, I really did feel for him. Yeah, and it's really cool because, like, I personally really liked Patrick's Daniel. I know you guys didn't, but I thought it was so much fun, and I just really like seeing actors kind of get to do crazy stuff like that. But I feel like when when Miles does play Daniel, you can like see Patrick in him, like in his yes. mannerisms. Oh yeah, perfectly. It's crazy. Like he even did like with his hand motions, like emulating yeah. what Patrick was doing. I totally. I thought the dark. I think Patrick did the dark scenes very well. Mm-hmm. Like the the scenes where he is like just feeling like this, just like vileness. Um, it is a little bit more effective. 
I just feel like it's like they do the thing where it's like, okay, he is supposed to be like the the charming bad boy version of Luke in a in a way, and like you yeah. you almost want to like I almost want to feel enticed by Daniel's influence as well in the in the first half of the film. I just feel like off the bat, I was just kind of like, okay, like you know he yeah he helps Luke out, but like we already know how dark he is, you know, yeah. from what we've seen previously. Yeah. So it's like we never had that moment where we were like also seduced by Daniel mm-hmm. if that makes sense it was just yeah so so just every time he was like attempting to be like funny and charming it just came off like very smug and annoying like from mm-hmm. the get I do really like though I I, I want to point this out because I think it's a really interesting concept and this idea of you experience this childhood trauma and then you kind of uh, repress it and lock it away until yeah. you are kind of of that age where it gets unlocked and you're like, oh shit, like I kind of forgot that that part of <laughs> yeah. me existed and it continues to kind of affect your your day-to-day, especially in this coming of age period and this transitional period of going into college and trying to meet new people and trying to figure out the person that you want to be. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that this is the time period that they chose for that to happen to where this other side of himself or this trauma that he had repressed so long of putting in this dollhouse, which is, you know, in and of itself, a very childish kind of thing. That to me was really interesting. On the flip side of that, though, I, I can't emphasize enough how I how much I hate the sword fight. I think it's so silly. Oh, and so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like the it's sword a, fight. I, I hate it. I hate it so much. I'm sorry because I, I am just not a fan of this idea because it's taken so literally and it's never worked for me. Uh, another example is in uh, the superhero movie Logan. Like I, I hate that it's like you're fighting your inner demons and this darker side of yourself. So let's have you literally fight them. I hate it. And mm-hmm. I, I get what they're doing. That's hearkening back to when they're kids and they're pretending and you're fighting with swords, which also is another very homoerotic thing. I'm just going to put it out there. Oh, no, that, <laughs> uh, no, that is very gay going of, on. Of sword fighting. But I just... I think it's really dumb. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I like the sword fight because I do feel like they did like throughout the film, they do kind of touch on the idea of like, cause that was the therapist advice. Like whenever he was saying, it's like, you know, kind of tap into that uh, adolescence, that, that freedom. And because you, you do feel that your freshman year of college, like that is like kind of a time where it's like, yeah, you're an adult out on your own, but this is also a time where it's like, you're at the bottom of the chain again in a, in a new environment. And like, this is your time to let loose a little bit and get to be silly. And like, you know, you're an adult, but you still get to be carefree. And, and they do kind of show that throughout the film, like not only when they were kids, but like, you know, when Luke and Cassie are on their date and they break into the, the bus lot and like the way that they're jumping across the buses, like felt very adolescent. Mm -hmm. Like it felt very just like whimsical in that way. And so they, they kind of sprinkle that out throughout the film that, you know, as introverted as Luke is and like he's had all these things like way down on him throughout his life that he does still have like this lighthearted, you know, you know, light inside of him at, at some point. So so the, the, the sword fight did work for me, especially because it was also very well choreographed. So, yeah, right, the sword was, fight worked for me. Yeah, I agree. And I also think like the idea that like well he was clearly traumatized at that age so there's still a part of him stuck mm-hmm. at that age that too and daniel is like so insecure and clearly so childish like even though he says he's like thousands of years old he's never grown up so i kind of liked that idea of them like going back to when That's they were point. kids um because that was also when they had the strongest connection but mm-hmm. i also think the abyss is really 
an interesting concept to me because Daniel obviously doesn't want to go back there and seems almost kind of scared of it. So I I kind of wonder if like Daniel is also somehow trapped and that's kind of why he's perpetuating this cycle of violence because he's trying because he's trying to escape something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that that's I think I don't I don't know. I'm still like kind of navigating to through some of these feelings of expressing it might be a little clumsy, but I'm just also a little confused. Um, I guess it's kind of the territory when you make something so literal, then it kind of the the questions of reality start to be a possibility of like you're trying to understand like what is the logical choice that these characters are making because when he locks him in this you know abyss kind of mind palace thing which i do like the look of i think but the budget of this movie looks really cool and dreamy and nightmarish and i i really like that setting but then i'm also just kind of like damn luke was locked in there for hours maybe and got out just fine like daniel didn't think that the entire time to jump in the into this abyss and to escape like i'm just kind of confused on what the rules of this whole thing are for me cassie like woke it up like like she like helped break like mm -hmm. part of the door down like because daniel's doesn't have that he like he doesn't have a a person that uh kind of helps along and and i did want to get into cassie before we kind of get into our final thoughts of um um it, it, even though because I, I felt like you know sophie was definitely more used as like more of an object um for you know sophie Dan- i felt like definitely fell into the manic pixie yeah and, dream girl and cannon fodder like she was supposed to yes you know? and i mean she was you know yeah and like you know that was the point to yeah kind of bring out some of these actions in in Daniel and like the differences, you know, because that's the type of girl that Daniel is into versus Cassie is the type that Luke is into. And, and I like that uh, with his, the relationship with Cassie and that like, you know, Luke doesn't need Daniel all, you know, we see that like, you know, she's an artist and like, she like kind of gets him to tap into his photography and like inspires him. And it's like, you know, and that's like kind of a thing that's like, you know, like if, uh, if, Luke was able to do that more, you know, as more of a coping mechanism, you know, of having an outlet, you know, not just art in general, but like just the idea of having an outlet uh, to be able to do it. And like, that's when Daniel, you know, gets intimidated as well, because he's like, oh, you're getting into this photography now and you don't need me as much because you're working your feelings out in this. And like, this is bringing you joy. It's not me bringing you joy. Um, So I like that Cassie is there to introduce that and like, and she also seems very understanding and she kind of gets everything maybe a little too quickly at the end. But I like that the idea of like, you know what? I bet if Luke just talked to her more about his feelings, um, a lot of this could have been avoided and, and, and a lot better off, you know. And But, you know, that is uh, movies in general. Uh, you know, movies would be a lot shorter if people talked about their feelings more in them. <laughs> Yeah, um, I do want. I, I want to note that it's such a college thing to be like, "Oh, I'm into photography now." It's like, dude, you mean you bought a camera? He literally, <laughs> he literally, such a college thing. <laughs> he literally looked around the room and found it on the shelf in his mom's apartment and goes, "Yep, I'm into photography now." <laughs> uh, excellent. No notes. Yeah, just to kind of put my my I guess final kind of thoughts on things, especially in regards to the, some of the female characters. Um, Big fan of uh, Sasha Lane. If you haven't seen American Honey, uh, it's a really yeah. excellent film. And she I think is she's a great really performer. terrific in that. Um, I found uh, most of the female characters to be underwhelming in this film for uh, different reasons. I thought the the mother character uh, was just a bit of a cliche and an inaccurate cliche at that. Uh, I thought 
uh, Cassie and Sophie were pretty vapid, uh, and I just were kind of there only to support the male characters, which just isn't great. <laughs> um, I also just, the way that this film just portrays mental illness, I think is vague enough to where it becomes problematic. I think when you kind of go into that territory of talking about mental illness specificity um, or at least nuance is I think appreciated because uh, then generalities start to be made and it just becomes a little I again I think kind of problematic um, I will say the style of the movie really cool the music of the film also super cool I really admire what this movie was able to accomplish considering the budget that it had I think that there are some interesting ideas at play in the film I personally just don't think that they're explored uh, in an interesting way or uh, in a terribly uh, compelling or at least at minimum kind of cohesive way. Uh, so still, on a rewatch, wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I've enjoyed kind of uh, getting some different perspectives on this and, and why you guys, or why uh, Corey likes it as much as she does. Yeah, so give us uh, your, uh, what, what's your rating out of, we'll go with uh, five five uh, photographs. Uh, five you photographs. Uh, uh, you're not going to like it. I am at uh, one and a half out of five photographs. Ooh. It's funny because oh. Devon earlier, he was like, I'm not giving this like a one. And I was yeah. like, yeah, you're right. I'm giving it a one and a half. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, yeah, this for me, at least uh, a three is just a movie that I just really did not care for beyond just four is when it starts to get into negative feelings uh, or uh, two uh, out of five starts to get kind of like um, negative feelings. And this is beyond negative where I just I really just don't care for the film. But uh, yeah, I've I've tried to not just shit on the film uh, incessantly because I, <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's an interesting conversation. Uh, but yeah, for me, just a, a one and a half out of uh, are we doing Polaroids. What is he snapping here on that film camera? What is he printing it out on? He looks nice like lithographs a, there. He does. <laughs> He's doing some medium format. It looks Hell like yeah, uh, Hell some yeah. medium yeah. format film. <laughs> uh, Corey, what about uh, your final thoughts and uh, rating out of five? I mean, I think we all know what I'm going to say. Mine is a five out of five photographs. This is like one of my all-time favorite movies. I have, but at the same time, I totally see where you guys are coming from. I just have such like a strong personal connection to so many parts of this movie. Which is super um, valid and like super powerful as well. Yeah, it's just like one of those movies that connected with me, but I totally understand why it doesn't connect with everyone. Sure. Yeah, and for me, um, I, I like that we got a nice little spread. I'm pretty in the middle of you two. Um, I'm at three out of five because um, I, I see a lot of everything that they are going for and trying to accomplish, and I definitely see all the effort behind it, uh, behind the filmmaking, and uh, I do see thought and effort behind the writing, um, but as far as executing some of the themes and, um, you know, with, the way that the story goes um, just didn't exactly doesn't always come together for me but when it does it is very effective um, and like I said I kind of enjoyed the second half more when it does kind of uh, get a little bit in exploring the darker sides of uh, what the film was trying to do um, so uh, and, and again like I get, I see everything and uh, the, the score fantastic I'm definitely gonna be throwing that in my dark yoga rotation um that we that me and Garrett spoke about a few episodes ago. And um uh, but yeah, so this is uh this is a 3 out of 5 for me. Um it, uh and this is I uh, forgot to shout this is a Spectre Vision uh production uh, Elijah Wood and uh, his production company and they're always making interesting films and I'm always rooting for them to just be able to keep making these uh weird and interesting films. Um, so let's go. Vision is amazing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, shout out to Elijah Wood. 
Let's uh, <laughs> get into our final segment of the episode. All right, here on the Blade Blunt Cinema Club, we have a little game we call Movie Math, where we discuss some films that may have inspired the film or just films that you see shades of within that film. Um, so to start it off, um, I will go ahead and go first with, um, I have Fight Club plus pre- uh, plus Possessor. Um, I think for both kind of obvious reasons, uh, Fight Club as far as um, this uh, alter ego, um, it, the way that they kind of grapple, uh, the way that, you know, Daniel takes over when Luke is sleeping, like kind of very similar to the way in Fight Club he has uh, insomnia. And, um, you know, and again, you know, I definitely think Patrick uh, Schwarzenegger took a, a, a big heaping of Brad Pitt in his uh, performance uh, for this film, uh, even down to uh, some of the fashion choices that Garrett pointed out earlier, um, you know, with uh, the suits they wears. And then he especially has uh, the red suit for the finale of the film, um, reminiscent of Tyler Durden's classic red leather jacket. Um, and then I have Possessor in there for some of the uh, style choices um, as far as the score and some of the shots and the lighting, but then also um, the the um, imagery that it was doing with like the the melding of their faces and um, it, even some of the effects like the the very final one whenever um, when Daniel climbs inside Luke's mouth like in front of the therapist uh, gave me like big society vibes like um, it, it was. I, I wanted more. I wish we got more of the imagery, and I totally get why because this was a small budget, you know. So can't get as much of that stuff, but I'm glad we did get some of it in there. And there is, you know, some um, you know, identity uh, struggles going on in Possessor as well, and um, control over one's body as well. And then I have that divided by hereditary because. Um, I say that, you know, they share a similar of this, like, you know, passing, uh, passing down mental illness, um, but doesn't quite do it with uh, the nuance that hereditary does it with um, and also goes into some, um, you know, a, a entity using a body as a vessel. So it takes kind of some of the bareness of what hereditary does. So that's why I'm kind of dividing uh, those top because it doesn't quite uh, hit the execution that any of the three films that I listed um, do. So, Corey, what is your equation looking like? My equation, and I go to art school, so we don't do math. <laughs> so, just, <laughs> um, but it's Jacob's Ladder plus Black Coat's Daughter divided by She Dies Tomorrow, all in parentheses, multiplied by Fight Club. Because I think, obviously, Jacob's Ladder is, like, a huge inspiration of this film Mm -hmm. Uh, i know adam Egypt mortimer has talked about that a lot but a lot of how the film portrays the mental illness and daniel is very reminiscent of jacob's ladder and i think the way that like the coming of age um and the paranoia that luke feels really reminded me of the black coat's daughter Mm. she dies tomorrow very similar in a similar sense like the paranoia kind of the not knowing what's going on the style the way it's shot very much reminded me of that and then obviously this movie is very fight club reminiscent of fight club um just for the everything about daniel Mm -hmm. and and jacob's ladder starring miles robbins dad tim robbins it comes full circle i was gonna throw that in there but i haven't seen jacob's ladder but i did assume uh, by the subject matter that it was pretty similar 
All right. And Garrett, what do you got for your equation? Uh, I also was going to put Jacob's Ladder in my list, but I went in a, a little bit of a different direction. Uh, I have Drop Dead Fred. Uh, <laughs> it's my first one yeah. uh, because it is also a movie that deals uh, with like an imaginary friend kind of doing like the the darker kind of portraying the darker side of you and maybe doing those things that, you know, the most evil parts of ourselves wish that we could do or something like that. Uh, and then you multiply that by Fight Club. Uh, I think that all three of us had it. That makes it a, a bit of a hat trick here uh, for also pretty obvious reasons. But I think Fight Club is a particularly apt comparison because Tyler Durden, who is this imaginary, uh, uh, you know, personification of uh, toxic masculinity. And I also think that Daniel portrays a lot of the similar ideas uh, and that, a lot of incels also think that that's what a cool guy is <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I'm dividing that by Spider-Man 3 uh, because I get a lot of like Bully Maguire vibes from this, uh, particularly when uh, Daniel like fully takes over. The first thing that he does is go buy like new clothes, which is also what happens in Spider-Man 3. I was just waiting for like a jazz <laughs> dance sequence, but uh, it doesn't happen, unfortunately. So, yeah, that's my equation. I would have loved a uh, dance sequence uh, to come out of nowhere. I, f I feel like the the film kind of would have benefited from that. That would have been great. A unexpected. Dance what is scene. it? What is it that he says? He's to that girl. He's like, "Hey, hot legs" or something. That's yeah. what Daniel needed to do. Uh, he would have. He would have. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have put it past him. And he, yeah, <laughs> just dig on this and then start snapping. That'll. Yeah. That's the extended cut. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and and he would have did it to a coffee shop barista. It would have came oh, all God. full circle. Yuck. Oh, Yuck. Womp, womp, womp. Um, but yeah, so glad that we did get to talk about this. And again, it, it is fun to have these conversations when we have all wildly different uh, opinions on them. I love that kind of stuff. Um, Corey, thank you so much for coming on. Thank um, you so much for having me. Of course. Uh, what are you working on right now? Tell us about uh, the podcast as well. Yeah, so currently, uh, my biggest project right now is I'm fundraising for a horror anthology that I'm producing called Welcome Week. You can find us on Indiegogo, and we're making a college-themed horror anthology. It's going to be made completely by college horror filmmakers, so it's really excited. I'm doing that with Screenager Productions and Noah Levine. Um, season two of The Scream Teens, which is my podcast with my friend Lenny, where we talk about the history of horror from a Gen Z perspective. Season two will be coming out soon, so check out our socials to keep updated on that. And then you can find my blog at GoryCory.com. Hell yeah. I'm super excited uh, for your guys' anthology. Uh, Thank we'll, you. I'm excited too. It, it's super cool. Uh, super cool project. So I'm going to have a link to the Indiegogo in the show notes. Uh, check that out if you guys are able to. Uh, Garrett, what are you working on right now? Oh, I'm not working on anything nearly as ambitious as that. I'm just a, a humble YouTuber, TikToker. You can also find me at uh, the Scum and Villainy podcast. Uh, but yeah, Garrett McDowell at uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, Letterboxd, all that good stuff. Uh, but that's pretty much it. What about you, Devon? Um, well, I did um, just premiere a music video that I directed for my buddy Zamp Camp. Um, you can find the official music video for California Freakin'. Um, was very happy with uh, the way it turned out and uh, yeah it's uh, pretty dope so go check that out and uh, you can find me as always on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco um, and, and I'm going to go ahead and do the outro since but that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club 
New episodes drop every Tuesday. Make sure you're subscribed and do not miss out. You can follow us on social media at Bloody Blunts Pod. And if you are listening on Spotify or Apple Pods, leave us a little five-star rating. We'd love that. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.